Welcome to the podcast where heavy industrial industries meet the venture capital ecosystem, interviewing both thought-leading investors and pioneering founders to better understand the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead for digital industrial innovation. Your host is Ty Finley, and this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Chris Stallman joins us today from Detroit. Chris is a partner at Fontenelle's Partners, a VC fund investing in seed to Series B technology companies that are impacting the movement of people and goods. Chris started his career 15 years ago on the private markets investment team with a university endowment that had a long history of investing in venture funds. He then spent the next five years as an analyst and associate at Stout, a global advisory firm, before ultimately joining the Fontenelle's team 10 years ago where he is a partner today. Chris has notable exits aligned to these sectors, including Telogis, Postmates, and Translot, and he has active investments in other innovators, including Turo and Freightwaves. Chris, great great to have you on the show, my friend, and, and really excited to dive into this discussion about mobility. Welcome to the Heavy Hitters. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, Ty. I, I've been a longtime listener, so first-time caller here. I think that's what they usually <laughs> say on the radio. Uh, always, always enjoy the the segments that you do, and I'm honored to be included as a guest alongside some of the other esteemed guests you've had so far. Right on. Had to have Fontenolis and, and you on the show. So excited to have this chat. So we always kick off with backgrounds. You know, walk us through yours. I know I gave a brief snapshot that how did you what led you into this world of venture capital investing within these sectors? Yeah, no, thank, thanks for asking. Um, you know, nobody you know, is born and, and thinking that the first thing, you know, that comes out of their mouth is product market fit or anything along those lines. I don't think people inherently, you know, want to as children be venture capitalists per se. That would be um, kind of scary. Yep. <laughs> I did uh I did have a little bit of a long buildup in some ways that that kind of naturally transitioned to venture. Uh in fact if you kind of go way back, uh when I was in high school, I was 14 or, or 15 years old, very interested in entrepreneurship. Um, my first ever job, you know, I think while some of my my classmates maybe had like, uh, you know, uh, newspaper routes or, or other things, mine was actually working for a uh, Web 1.0 uh, Internet property company. It was actually a company that rolled together a few different assets and went public. And um, one of those uh, content properties, I was actually part of their uh, writing team. I was a staff writer for and I was publishing various things on their behalf. And starting to get a little bit of an idea and flavor around building a user audience, um, as well as just some of the general media metrics that that are out there. And it, it kind of initially got me going to the point where I then spun out and created a, a hobby business of my own uh, at 15 years old uh, that slowly turned from a hobby into a profitable small business. And then eventually, I think we had a, a monthly readership exceeding 40,000 um, at scale. So. You know, it ended up being that first foray where I started to learn the concept of like customer acquisition costs and total lifetime value and search engine optimization and marketing and all the things that are very central to any sort of, um, you know, content generation business today. Um, in college, I then uh, found out that the University of Michigan, where I was attending, had a, a very large endowment and not only a very large endowment, but a very prolific one in, in the private markets. Uh, it was uh, one of the earlier endowment investors in venture as an asset class. And uh, I, I, I would like to say that I kind of annoyed them a little bit. I was pinging them incessantly, asking for an opportunity to go learn about what they were doing. Um, and uh, they eventually took pity on me, I think, and, and let me join the team. And 
I spent my my senior year working with them and, and really getting a flavor for what the LP side of venture was like, understanding more about um, what they're looking for in venture managers and finding a lot of different managers that did things different ways. It was a good way to get some good early breadth of what venture was. And then after that, I, I spent the next five years doing uh, transaction advisory work, largely with a lot of automotive and industrial clients. Um, but I also had a tendency to kind of raise my hand and work with uh, venture firms and private equity firms and a few hedge fund clients as well um, uh, that were holding uh, many assets and technology companies, automotive businesses and the like. Uh, that firm, um, you know, today has about 500 professionals and, and a little over 20 offices and um, works with everybody from very large businesses to very, you know, middle market ones. And then kind of by chance, I happened to it uh, five years into that position, I met the team from Fontenelle's Partners. And uh, it was a very opportune moment where this fund that was thinking about investing in the future of transportation and mobility uh, was raising their very first uh, venture fund. Um, and I saw it as an opportunity where, you know, I can marry some of that finance and investment background with company building and at the same time, you know, hopefully be a part of building a venture firm. So it's been a been an exciting stretch. Right on. Well, lots of great touch points on on many of the variables included that you, you needed to run a fund. And obviously, something to be said about mobility and automotive is going to be a part of this discussion in Michigan, where you were. So seems like a great fit. You know, I'm a biased fan of Fontenolis, but maybe for the rest of the listeners, let's set the discussion up to tell us a little more about Fontenolis, Par- Fontenolis Partners generally, uh, the investment strategy, and ultimately how your fund likes to differentiate itself. Yeah. So we, we've been around for 12 years. Um and if you go back 12 years ago, that was 2009. Um, that was a pretty challenging time period globally, uh, you know, especially in the automotive and, and industrial space, where I think there were real questions about many many of these businesses if they'd even survive a very deep recession. But we were also at, at sort of more of a global and a macro technology standpoint. We were at a time period where smartphones were accelerating, digital payments were becoming mainstream. Uh, you had cloud computing picking up speed. And our team, our founding team's thought was there was an ecosystem that was building. There was a lot of supportive technology trends that um, our view was innovation was going to largely be driven in some of these segments, not by the R&D teams of very large companies, but by new startups that were spinning out of research universities that were coming through founders that had had previous successes in other segments, finding their way into this. And so... Um, we banded, kind of banded together and, and created a, a fund um, to specifically target companies that um, had this vision of really reinventing the way people and goods move. Um, it was a very kind of novel concept at that time. And I could tell you all the stories about uh, going out to uh, Sand Hill Road and talking to other venture investors about, you know, this idea of investing in transportation and mobility startups uh, in the early days. It wasn't a very popular mm-hmm. sentiment. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, here we are, I think it's, it's, it's worked out well. So our firm, we, we, we're very much flexible thematic investors. We have a, we have a theme. We believe that technology will empower a better, more efficient movement of things. Uh, we're very flexible on where we invest it. We can be seed investors. We could be series A, we could be series B investors. Um, we could be a lead, a co-lead, or even a follow. We don't have hard ownership targets. You know, one of the sayings that we say internally is that we just want to be investors in really great, enduring businesses within this theme whenever we meet them. And sometimes we meet those companies very, very, very early. And sometimes we meet them when they've had a little bit more time to develop product market fit. So um, at the end of the day, though, we just want great founding teams and great businesses. And 
Um, you know, a few of the things that we think are real differentiators for us is that um, because this is a segment we live in, we ideally, when a company comes to us, we're speaking their language. It's the same language uh, on the other side. They're, they don't have as much of an education of, you know, about the market to our group. You know, we likely already know their customers, their partners. We, you know, maybe their acquirer down the road is somebody that we already know today. Um, and, you know, we sometimes spend a lot of our time thinking about how we, um, you know, can help take some of those barriers of company building. It's hard to build any business, regardless of what segment you're in, and, you know, help clear them together, help them establish a new customer earlier or a new partner earlier than maybe they otherwise would have, you know, had that. And I think because we're all in the same space as them, you know, we serendipitously meet them, not just when they're fundraising, but off cycle when they're in between fundraises. And, um, you know, we try to use our network to, to their benefit, um, you know, regardless of whether we're an investor or not and, and, and build that relationship for the future. Right on. Well, we're, we're definitely going to come back to this point of differentiation. And in general, to your comment, I don't think there's a hotter topic right now than the transportation of people and goods. So uh, lots of change uh, from then and now. But um, congrats as we move forward on the recent announcement. I believe Fontenot's Partners Fund 3 was a uh, $104 million vehicle. Is that right? Announced yep, this that's week? correct. Yeah, thank you. Right on. So you guys are clearly doing all the right things. And to me, your shop is one of the earliest pioneers. I, I think you use the word thematic. I often use the word sector focused, regardless, VC fund models that are now really laser in on a specific theme. And, and so your term mobility for over 12 years now is what I want to define. Help us describe how you define mobility and how that mobility theme maybe has evolved over this period. And, and maybe I'd just like to tag on to the back end of all of that. Has your Fontenelle's thematic or fund construction strategy had to change because of that evolution? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, because when we got started, and if you look at our founding team, um, one of my partners is Bill Ford, chairman of Ford Motor Company. And another key member of our founding team, uh, Mark Schultz, was the former head of Ford International. And he ran all of Ford's international affiliate brands like Jaguar, Land Rover, Aston Martin, and others. Uh, as well. We have a lot of kind of automotive heritage across our group. But what I'm really proud of is early on, we felt that there was this ecosystem building that was going to reshape not only the automotive industry, but it would be bigger than that. It would touch manufacturing, retail, logistics, uh, energy. And so we we we'd sort of looked at prior waves of venture that had been more focused. So there was clearly the clean tech wave in the mid 2000s, you know, going back even into the 90s, there were some communications funds and the like. And we really asked ourselves, can we build an enduring venture firm around a very long term theme and have relevance fund after fund after fund? And um, we had a strong belief that the way to do that was with some degree of flexibility with the broad definition, because at the end of the day, we feel that over 30, 40, 50 years, uh, there will be this continued evolution in this segment, but that the specific themes or the specific areas of investment will change during that. New technologies will emerge to the forefront, new business models, and we want to capture as many of those inflection points as we possibly can. So we've defined mobility as technologies that enable the efficient movement of people and goods. You know, you'll notice with a lot of automotive background, we don't have anything in there about it being just auto tech or road based transportation or anything along those lines. And that definition gives us a lot of leeway to uh, include not just vertical technologies. So we do invest in auto tech and industrial and supply chain transformation and logistics and mobility marketplaces like uh, Turo and Lyft and Postmates, a few examples there. Um, but we also invest in enabling technologies because 
when we look at a lot of the biggest advances in mobility, it requires advances in a lot of the foundational harder technology as well to enable that. That's AI, machine learning, cybersecurity, you know, edge computing and semiconductors and everything else sort of in that that general framework. So, um, you know, with that, you know, broad lens, we've we've, you know, translated that to being investors in a very wide survey of kind of, um, you know, mobility, you know, quite broadly. And the strategy has changed a little bit, um, you know, as we've gone, it hasn't changed a, a tremendous amount. Um, you know, early on in our our evolution in our first fund, we weren't really like seed investors. You know, our preferred entry point was largely series A rounds. Um, but what we found was being a thematic investor, companies very early in their life cycle would come to us with their seed rounds. And you know, if you say no to a party, uh, you know, a couple times, they kind of stop coming to you um, in some ways. Uh, you know, maybe it's dignity preservation or just kind of, you know, finding other other avenues. And so we we started to ask ourselves, how would we work with an earlier stage business that um, requires a little bit more sort of maturing before it's ready for some of the parties in our network? And so we established a seed program about five or six years ago, and it's been an incredibly successful program. We've We've backed some really great companies and we followed on and built bigger positions and relationships with uh, several of them uh, over time. Um, the mobility space itself has also just generally broadened since we started. You know, in the early days, there was a little bit on kind of these new sharing economy models. There were some in the smart city side. So we backed companies like parking payments technologies and stuff. But then it started to find these technologies more into enterprise use cases, and there's just been this sort of continued evolution. And so as a result, what we've invested in has has kind of widened out over that time period. If you look at the full breadth of our portfolio and, you know, we have cybersecurity and AI companies and we have a weather technology company in our portfolio that's doing a lot of work with logistics companies and Major League Baseball and a whole variety of different you know end markets. So it's been uh, it's been interesting to watch this continued evolution. It's just such a key and an, it's an it's an awesome point to make. You can be highly thematic or sector focused and still have an enormous aperture, even within the word mobility and you know the enabling technologies that I'm pretty sure the GDP driving a lot of the the different end markets or use a government code or whatever sector you're talking about. Uh, you got plenty of opportunity to to put a lot of investments into a lot of great companies. So again, preaching to the choir, I know, but I think it's such a great point, um, regardless of thematic or sector focused funds, lots of areas to invest in. So I, I want to compound that and, and then go back to the point of differentiation here because of that focus or laser focus for that matter. Um, in a prior Freight Waves article, you and I teamed up with some other uh, great friends in the ecosystem on the sector focused thematic focus fund train about specialization needed to compete in today's VC market. So the question open-ended, why is sector focus or thematic differentiation important? What are the benefits of having this focus and, and why is it occurring faster than ever in my opinion? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. It's one that we think about all the time as well. It, and it was funny when we started 2009 back then, you know, we had a little bit of a viewpoint of does the world need another venture firm um, and, and look at the explosion since then. Um, and, and so we sort of challenged ourselves. We said, let's be just a little bit different. Um, and in fact, we kind of I wouldn't say stumbled into venture, but we weren't necessarily 100 percent sure venture was where our firm would end up. We 
we looked at different models of, you know, let's buy a company that's kind of an old world business and then infuse digital innovation into it and take more of a private equity model. But I think over time, we started to believe that in this theme, you have oftentimes, you know, a reg- sometimes a regulated environment where you're dealing with here in the U.S., three, three layers of government, you know, local, state and federal. Uh, you oftentimes have an operational aspect uh, to it and you have you know, old industries that have done business a certain way that have a change management they have to undergo to to really operate in this new realm. And it's it's really beneficial to have a partner that just understands all of those constraints. And, you know, th- that point about there being both a digital and a physical component to, to much of mobility is a big part. You know, we're moving not only bits, but also atoms, the physical world. Um, and that operational nuance um, oftentimes just really is is accentuated or uh, helped by somebody that has operationally built something or seen or been a part of something before to make sure that you're not making the same costly mistakes over and over again across your portfolio. So we try to take a lot of those shared learnings that we've had in other tangential businesses for the benefit of our new investments. And you know, that potentially makes them a little bit more capital efficient or reduces you know some of the headaches or scaling challenges along the way. And for us as a venture firm, I mean, especially right now, the the private markets have never been more competitive. Um, you you have deals that are just getting done so very quickly. Um, you maybe don't have as long of a due diligence process as you've had historically. And and I know you had uh, Trevor Zimmerman from from Blackhorn Ventures on, and he talked about like the ready mind. And and I really I really ascribe to that as well. We want to know a space so that when we find the absolute right company in that space we're ready to do the deal very quickly if we have to. And I think that requires some degree of knowing all the different parties and and the dynamics that that company is going to go through and the challenges they're going to need to overcome to achieve their their goals and being very prepared for that. Um, so I, I, you know, I think there's a there's a real benefit uh, specialization in, in venture. But at the same time, we are technology investors that look at the world through a mobility lens we ask ourselves how do these apply to mobility and we do try to keep that very broad view as much as possible there's there's a book called range by david epstein that talks about the value of being a generalist uh and and then over time developing a specialty and we try to think of that the same way that we um you know feel that if you have a, a broad uh training set or a broad uh coverage area it's more likely you'll be flexible and nimble to uh find areas that are maybe on the fringes going forward so we're always looking for those next breakout technologies that maybe don't even look like a mobility company today but might be big ones tomorrow well i love how you define the the bits and atoms when they combine definitely find that partner who knows the nuances of of that sector and and to trevor's point having a prepared mind i think really does that same as you guys over at fontanalis so complete agreement um so pushing us forward here chris aligned to discussion thus far fontanalis obviously has close relationship with automakers specifically both consumer and commercial applications uh and clearly there's a massive supply chain disruption underway with within the automotive industry chip shortages well-known uh, discussion i've got a ford bronco on order so i don't know if you could help me with my hard top issue that i can't get my own bronco etc all the things we're reading about in the wall street journal daily what are you seeing occurring here and and how do how has it influenced what you're investing in towards i think in your fund 3 pr you announced uh, a wider range of bets i'm curious how you're thinking about it yeah i think um 
the auto industry today, it's almost unrecognizable in some ways, not not in all ways, but in some ways from the automotive industry of yesterday. Um, used to be that um, auto companies really ring fenced uh, their markets and their partners as much as they could, and they competed very aggressively against each other. Um, and now we, we've entered this time period where in recognizing that outside innovation needs to be incorporated. There's much more of a coopetition or, or even a cooperation model. These auto companies now are, are signing alliances. They're, they're coming closer together. They're, they're sharing resources in certain areas. And I think it's a recognition that there are certain technologies that benefit all of them and they want to support that. And then some of those technologies like autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles and other areas are very capital intensive to overcome the engineering challenges they're solving for. Um, and, you know, in some ways, if this was all done overnight, it's going to take a little while in this segment. If it was all done overnight, you know, I don't think it would be as interesting from a venture standpoint. Um, but what it does do, and sometimes these challenges that these companies are working through in these themes, especially around electrification and automation, is it's pointing attention to some of the other areas that they need help with, you know, Autonomous vehicles need good long-range LIDAR. We have an investment in a company called Ouster that that despacked earlier this year that's developing great, great technology there. You know, they're very much woken up at the moment to their semiconductor supply chain and the need to now diversify relationships and build more of a homegrown U.S. semiconductor industry to support the automotive industry. All of these new materials that they're they're going to require uh, for very reliable long-range electric vehicles and the processing on the vehicle is incredibly important and what's done at the edge versus the cloud and all of these are pointing um, a big spotlight on some of these other areas and I don't know if any moment, at least in my lifetime, where I can really point to some of the the sizable commitments this industry is making towards these areas. You know, GM and Ford have each committed about $30 billion to electrification, and Volkswagen has, has done something in the order of $40 billion as well. And that's just a few automakers. There's many others. And I think that's a clear signal to entrepreneurs that this is a priority. It's going to be a priority for a long time start building here because we need it and uh, that's as clear of a signal to me to invite great entrepreneurs into the space as i've ever seen before no question maybe just to jump on the electric one i don't think there's any more clear signal than one of the most historic vehicles of all time the ford f-150 now having the lightning announced and i've heard nothing but the most amazing feedback so far so i'm with you i think the signals are all there and i'll take us a step further then because our audience loves talking about uh, trends in this ecosystem and we have this segment we call what's hot and what's hype so maybe i'll extrapolate some of those um, narratives you were mentioning and let's dive in a little bit here what what things are getting you most excited that that are ready for prime time and and then where do you think there is a lot of opportunity obviously but a longer path to commercial readiness from your outlook yeah ooh, i like that good, good questions um you know, I think we're really excited about electrification sustainability tech. Um, the cost curves have just become uh, much more compelling now than they've been at any point in their history. And I think um, especially around American innovation, we, we we tend to do well when our backs are against the wall in some areas. And, and you know, right now with, with climate change kind of looming over uh, so many industries, um, this is a just critical area of focus going forward. And, and the you know, big challenges create a inviting moment for the biggest, most ambitious minds. So we're just finding really great founders in that theme. And 
supply chain transformation, we still think companies are early in their digitization efforts and that, you know, transformation comes on the other side of that. So it's a continued focus of ours and e-commerce enablement, you know, clearly COVID put a spotlight when you couldn't go to a traditional retailer and you bought everything online. But we think that supporting a whole new e-commerce value chain is um, a a big opportunity um, going forward. You know, on the challenging side, you know, I I always root for every founder. Um, I, I, I always want to see them be successful. Um, we have seen a lot of companies in the EV tall space, so these electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Um, and I do worry a little bit that the air mobility space has some unique challenges that are going to take a while to figure out. And anytime you're creating a new aircraft, you have to go through a airframe certification process. You need to find pilots. There's a pilot shortage generally. Uh, out there, you know, it, putting a, a, a high capacity battery up in the air with some fire risk is always a bit of a concern. And so we think that there's a lot of operational aspects there that we ourselves are still kind of waiting to see flush out a little further. And, you know, I think the challenging, you know, the AV side is going through recognition of some challenges as to getting to, to market and getting technology ready to be on the road. And we've made a few very successful investments in the AV space uh, to date. We still like a lot of pockets of that, but a brand new full stack AV company coming out today probably has some some headwinds ahead of it. Yeah, I'm with you. We need all innovators who are welcome. More capital, the better. Um, just know there will be some plays that have some higher bars and take longer to commercialization, but um, mm-hmm. sometimes it's what's needed for sure. Um, well, we always love to bring some part of the discussion back to the founders out there who are maybe thinking about raising venture or currently raising venture capital. What gets you excited about these new early stage companies entering the market? And we always love to break it apart. Any keys to success you could share with them or common challenges to avoid as they enter the discussion? Yeah, we, we get um, really excited by companies that show early on in their life cycle the ability to attract top talent. Um, you know, the thing about talent is that um, they're making an investment. It's not in necessarily an investment of their capital, but it's something far more scarce than capital. It's their time. So when we see somebody that we know um, is a in-demand individual or somebody has a lot of options or um, has had a lot of prior successes in different areas, choose to invest their time behind a business that gets us excited. Um, You know, I think uh, we also really like companies that have these big ambitious plans. Um, You know, it's great to build a company that has a feature um, in some ways. Maybe you can find venture financing. Maybe it's a different capital source for that. But companies that are really setting out to change the way people or an industry operate, um, you know, inspires us um, to, to, to be investors in that. And, and areas to kind of be, you know, you know, keys to success, you know, I think generally um, being flexible very early in a company's life cycle is important, making sure you're responsive to feedback, especially customer feedback. And then um, the other one that I always harp on with with companies that we talk to is just this maniacal, like obsessive focus on product and the first few customers that you have. Um, you know, you really have to get that right early on. And and Paul Graham from, from Y Combinator has a saying of, you know, do things that don't scale. And, and, and by that, he kind of means, you know, you can't do this for everybody long term, but for your first few customers, go over and above to just make sure that they're happy and that they're not going to churn and they're going to stay long term customers. And, um, you know, any pitfalls would be something like, you know, not thinking big enough, you know, we'll sometimes have companies pitch us that say, you know, I'm going to disrupt X company 
And then when we ask what their ambition is, it's to be bought by X company. It's, you know, no, wouldn't you rather be the buyer of them down the road <laughs> instead of the other direction? Um, so we really like, you know, companies that can think, think big. Love it. Great advice from a, a group that's been at it for quite a while. So um, I'm sure great keys to success for a lot of folks out there. So Chris, let's uh, wrap up here with a section we call Crick Hitters, a little bit of a rapid fire Q&A. So if you're ready, we'll jump in. Sounds good. Okay. Number one thing you look for when evaluating an early stage founder in this sector. You know, it goes back to that talent comment I had, just mm -hmm. the ability to surround uh, themselves with really great people and build out a full team. Starts and stops with the team. Couldn't agree more. What One resource, book, podcast, blog, whatever you'd recommend our audience to follow within the ecosystem. Yeah, it's been out for a while. And, and the nice thing about that is it's got a big library that you can kind of go back to. But I, I'm a big fan of how I built this uh, with Guy Raz. It, it, it kind of covers the stories of these iconic companies that we all know and what it was like in the early days. And I, I, I tend to be inspired by just the hustle and grit and determination a lot of these entrepreneurs had you know, building these, these, you know, enduring businesses, that's a big thing. They're enduring businesses. Um, but I would also say if you're looking for an online resource, um, our newsletter mobility matters, you can sign up on our website, fontnalls.com comes out every week and it's a nice survey of all of the developments going on in, in the mobility space. Yeah. Guy Roz, that, that is completely inspiring. I mean, I think he even goes back to talk about your childhood more often than not. So, uh, <laughs> couldn't agree with you more on that one. Uh, one person who maybe should be on the podcast. Yeah, I, I'll put him on the spot and I'll probably have to follow up with this. But I, you know, Raph, Raph D'Andrea is the, um, he was one of the uh, founders of Kiva Systems, which was bought by Amazon and is now Amazon Robotics. It, you know, think of it all as the robotics technology that powered their fulfillment centers. And he's now the CEO of actually one of our portfolio companies, Verity, that's doing some really interesting work on uh, kind of the warehouse uh, automation side of things. And uh, just a phenomenal speaker. Gave a really great TED talk a few years ago. Um, would be a great addition. Right on. And then finally, best way for folks to reach out to you, Chris. Yeah, I'm I'm reachable on on via email at chris.stallman at fontanalis.com or uh, LinkedIn or Twitter or anywhere else you might find me. But um, you know, if any any of your listeners reach out to you, Ty, uh, feel free to connect us. More than happy to connect for sure. Well, Chris, really appreciate you coming on, telling us more about mobility, how you guys see the world. Um, a big fan and uh, just want to say thanks for, for spending a little time on the heavy hitters. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me.